So with Gusher, so over the past few years, what have you done? How have you gone about getting this idea in front of the audience that it ne- that needs to know about? It? Sure. Well, the, the audience is kind of tough because it's not like you're selling candy and you know that your market is, let's say, 12 to 16-year-old children. And you also know that it's 30 to 40-year-old married females making an income between fifty eighty thousand $80,000 a year. Gusher is not like that. So we have everything from 20-year-old college students to 80-year-old grandmas living in South Africa that have done deals successfully, okay, all across the spectrum. So you run into an issue. You run into an issue that it's not education, it's not age, it's not geographic location, it's not ethnicity, it's not religion. Martians landed, yes. wearing Prada suits, yes. drinking Henry seltzer, yes. chewing juicy fruit. Yes, and your branding here. Yes, brand. Your message here. Yes, and a verse about. Yes, your product here. Yes, I'm Hirsch Redman. Yes, and I'm a message therapist. Yes, and I have a podcast. Yes, brand. That's right. That's it. Yes, we'll help you fix the world. Yes, or your bottom line. All right. Your bottom line. Get it. I get it. Welcome to the Yes Brand Podcast. With me today is Chris fucking Joyce is here on the Yes Brand Podcast. And we are excited to have him. He's launched 24 companies. His latest venture is Gusher. Gusher is the simple, quick and easy way to create and build a startup. That's that's the simple explanation. But we're going to dive into it. Today, we're going to talk about success, failure, and everything in between, and we're going to have some fun. So, Chris Joyce, welcome to Yes Brand. I would love to have that intro everywhere I go. That is just absolutely spectacular, and I think it summarizes it in a nutshell and is more honest than any other intro. Thank you, man. Well, that's what we strive for. There's no, there's no humor without honesty. Humor exists to make honesty palatable um, and digestible in some way. So give me the one floor elevator pitch on Gusher. The simple one liner, depending upon the audience, is the greatest startup engine ever. That literally is what we are. We are the greatest startup engine ever. You want to go into more than that, then we're basically how to start a startup with just an idea. That's what we are. You don't need investors. You don't need money. Greatest startup engine ever. That's fantastic. What prompted you to do this? I mean, a long time ago, basically, I saw my mom struggling, working in a low-level government position uh, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. She always, always had brilliant ideas. She was way ahead of the curve in hindsight regarding the things that she thought as to where business would go. And it took her well into her 50s in order to make it until she finally made it. And I saw her struggle. I saw the day in and day out. There was no such thing as a venture capital ecosystem in Ohio. There still isn't. And I really just set out about a way and I didn't really, you know, do it purposely, but my whole career has really been basically to create a way of how to help people and get them started in business when they just have an idea, but they don't have the right connections. They don't live in New York, Silicon, Silicon Valley or Israel. And that accounts for 95% of all venture capital dollars. The rest of the people are kind of shit out of luck. Well, I have to throw this in there. So I've lived in I've lived in in New York, L.A. and Israel. Not sure on Valley per se, but I still don't know shit about about starting a business. And one of the things that fascinates me is the concept of just with an idea. Because right. I'm an idea person. So 
the the nuts and bolts of of the business, the thing that makes that work, that makes it real. It's yeah. like it's like being a kid and writing a play and wanting to put your friends in a play but not knowing how to get the play on. Yeah. And, well, you know, what well no one's going to ever see it then. Well, I, you know, I look at it this way, like what you learned as a kid doing something like that was really all you needed to know. Meaning that you just continue down that. So there's something that, that is the equivalent almost in a way of the fog of war. There's kind of like the fog of a startup. You, you end up going ahead and starting it and you never know what's going to be next. You never know precisely what the next step is or how the interactions are going to happen. And that's part of the beauty of it. It's very difficult to templatize a startup. But the beginning stages, and I'll say this with 100% certainty, you do not need money to get that company up and running. I don't care what the company is until you're at that 10 million in sales volume level where you may need additional funds to do an expansion or a land grab or something like that. But getting to that 10 million in sales, you don't need one penny, period, zero, not a zilch. And it's got an 80% correlation when it comes to success rate, meaning that 80% of the companies that are able to do this, those are the ones that are able to succeed. Those are the ones that are able to take off, et cetera, et cetera. It comes down, and, and you may laugh at this, okay? It comes down to bringing on one person, one person for performance-based equity that believes fundamentally in what you're saying. Right. So what do I mean by that? Okay. I mean that if you're selling, you have a dog food company and you want to start this new type of dog food company and brand and everything else. The first step is, can you get somebody to join you on your journey? Not for money, but for equity. Because anybody will join your company for money. Anybody will be part of your team, whether or not they believe in your, your company or not. But if you're able to bring somebody in for performance-based equity, that, hey, they have to go ahead and perform before they even get a piece of your company, then you got something. And that's the hardest thing to master almost right off the bat. We have a saying on Gusher, and it really follows true, that one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals done. And that's just the way it is. It's bringing somebody in that, that really gets that gist. So it gives you clarity as to your pitch. It gives you clarity as to whether or not you're able to communicate with potentially investors in the market right from the beginning. Because if your idea doesn't resonate some, with someone, then you shouldn't be doing it, period. Okay, this really goes along with, some, with a venture that a partner and I got involved with a couple of years ago during the right. pandemic. And it was, you know, it was... It's great. I mean, but it's like outside our our expertise. And, and right. you know, you think that if you roll up your sleeves and you're not too proud, then you can do anything. But sure. the fact is, you know, you put your 10,000 hours or whatever into certain things. Maybe I even have 30,000 hours into three different things. But if it's yeah. not that thing, right, then I need someone like what you're talking about. I need that 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 performance based equity person to come in and do their thing. Yeah, but, but it's, even, it's even more than that. So think of it this way. What, what we teach founders and we really emphasize is, is not just about bringing somebody on. It's not just about getting a team. It's about getting the right team for you. And let me explain what I mean by that, okay? So 
we're not about creating minimum viable products, MVP. What you're able to do is when you bring in experts, people who know what the hell they're doing. So if I'm bringing in a CMO and it's a consumer goods company, you know, a CMO has done these consumer goods companies. They should be an expert at consumer goods companies. What it allows a founder to do is to leapfrog generational development. So instead of just creating this rough version of a product, then going through version two, then going through version three, kind of getting traction, doing it in this and everything else, what you're able to do with the right team that has the same vision uh, in terms of what they're creating and what the goals are, but they're experts at what they each do, you're able to leapfrog generational development. And that's the difference. So I've never programmed a line of code. Okay, I'm not the person that goes ahead and identifies personas and breaks it down. I don't create the, the voices for our markets. I'm not the person doing social. I don't do front end, back end, UI, UX. I put the people together and, and I let them do it because they are way better at doing it than I am. So who? So in my case, let's take this case study again. If in my case, who would what kind of person would that that person have to be? So first of all, if you're dealing with Yes Brand, I would ask this, okay? So what is the actual product? That's where we start out with. And so now we're not going to go into that too much, but basically from there, you start figuring out who the vested interest market is, who the VIM, okay? The vested interest market are the people or the companies that have the most to gain from the success or failure of the company. Those people are typically the ones that are ending up making up your team. They end up typically becoming your investor base. They end up becoming your first zealot, your first zealot customers, and they fund you to be able to then capture larger markets and become more mainstream. But it all starts with your VIM, your vested interest market, the people that have the most to gain from the success or failure of your company. All right, I get that. I like the way you break things down, Chris, because it's it's there's so much shit out there in terms of honestly, you know, there's yeah. just shit. There's just a lot of shit, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Without shit, you know, we would we would all be, without it, it getting rid of our shit, we would all be full of shit. So I, yeah. you know, there's not, you know, at any given moment, we could be half full of shit. Every one of us. So it's like. Let's not back. Let's not, you know, back. Yeah, but but hold up. I, I've got to go off on a tangent here because yeah, you yeah. have a sense of humor. I have a thing where I say, do the shit. And by that, I mean, do that shit that nobody wants to do because that's usually the path to actual success. And that's the shit that the flowers grow out of and that the fruit grows out of and your right. vegetables grow out of. It doesn't grow out of this great, you know, well thought out stuff. It grows out of shit. So anyway, yeah. not to not to knock shit. Well, no, that's my that leads me to one of my favorite words, which is fertilizer. Yeah, fertilizer is just a you know, and I'm walking down the street with my daughter, and she sm she there's a lawn that's just been fertilized, and she smells it, and she goes, "What the heck? what what is that?" And I go, "That's fertilizer." And she goes, "It smells like." I said, "Don't say it, don't say it. You're eight years old. You watch your fucking mouth because I that's the last thing I need." Anyway. Um, so, all right, let's get let's get back to Gusher now. Yeah, sure. So the day that I came up with it, I, it was one of those things where I had always started business this way. I never needed money. So when, when I was uh, basically a kid attending NYU, I never needed money. I, I went from Ohio to New York. 
I, I never needed money to get a business off the ground in the initial stages. So if I needed a patent attorney, I wouldn't have to come up with twenty, thirty thousand dollars. I would just include the patent attorney for half a tick or one percent of the company. If I needed real estate, well, I remember doing a deal with one of the largest landholders in Long Island City. I owned seventy percent of Long Island City at the time I was eighteen. Well, you know, it wasn't a function of having to cut a half million dollar check. It was a function of just bringing him in on the deal. And at that time, we called it finagling. You know, you finagle, you do whatever that right. You know, all right. But that art has really been lost. And when it comes to creating a structure around it in businesses, there are really some serious things you can do doing that. And I don't care if it's manufacturing or, or whether it's distribution or advertising, you can always do something and be able to get out there w without needing money. And so we just, we just create the structure. We provide the framework to do it. Okay. Well, there's a couple things that brings to mind. One, yeah, it makes sure. me miss, miss my dad because, because my dad was a, was a great uh, a finagler in Nagler, the yeah. sense of he was an attorney, you sure. know, an honest lawyer, and had a bunch of you know, people, buddies that he respected in various businesses, some lawyers, some other things. And he would say, well, we'll finagle something. He'll finagle something for you. He'll, exactly. he'll figure it out. He'll right. figure it out. And it was like... It was basically MacGyvering things, you know, it's like 100% MacGyvering in business and and you could figure out solutions by everybody pitching in. I am curious how you would get like how you would find the patent attorney, let's say, that would, you know, say, OK, sure. I'll, I'm in. Well, let me give you an example, okay? I did, patent attorneys are a piece of cake, all right? Let me give you a difficult one. So I owned a company that was a low-carbohydrate food manufacturer, and it was the largest of its kind at the time, all right? But in order to do that, when I first started out, I had to find a food chemist. And finding a food chemist before low-carb was hot or, or accepted as keto right. and everything else now, it was brutally difficult. And I, I had to go through literally... 500 food chemists that told me it couldn't be done, it shouldn't be done, it wouldn't be done, go F myself and everything else under the sun. So sometimes you have to go ahead and move a, a lot of pebbles, a lot of rocks to get what the hell you want. Other times it's maybe 1 in 10, 1 in 20. But there's always a certain typical proportion or amount of weight that you have to move. But let me tell you something, as a founder, the more no's that you get initially, that's typically a better indication of how much success it, it has, how much potential it has. So the more no's that that you get. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a stupid idea. It means that it has typically a higher percentage because they just don't see it yet. So don't let that be a barrier. So it's a trial and error. It's it's a hit and miss. It's it's just over and over until you until the idea gets through. Right, until the idea gets through. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, until the, the founder gets a little bit better at their pitch. I mean, on our platform, our, what we do is we cut all that. So we, we go ahead and amplify it. We speed it. We accelerate it so that they're not out there in the wilds trying to figure it out. I mean, that's basically what we do. We speed it up the process. Okay. So, so, the, so then it would be, all right, so I have this this thing i haven't just jumping back you know yeah, let's do Usher, it Usher exists and i and, and if we're going to play around in a couple minutes with how to how we would pitch gusher uh, in a campaign i want to sure. just understand so sure. let's say i let's say i i have i want to uh trademark this or uh or i want to trademark uh you know what? message therapy let's say sure. which is another thing that i that i that i do and okay. and people say oh you got to trademark that now I go to Gusher and I go, okay, so let's let's do this thing. 
Right. Let me use Gusher to do this. Right. So what's so this is going to make my life a lot easier. Sure. Well, okay. How? How? Okay. Well, think of it this way. Again, you're not going to do it for one role. So you wouldn't do it for like just a patent attorney. You would do it for for a concept that you're looking to bring to life. So or or let's say you're looking to take what you have now and create the next iteration of it. Or you're looking to take what you have now and evolve it and create something that's disruptive or bigger. So it's not a linear type of platform. So can you find people on it? Yes, but we're a 5% equity player, so you're not going to give up 5% equity in your company to get one person into your deal. So usually it makes sense for the whole team, and that's the way it is. So what you typically do is on Gush, you're going to create a a startup draft. Uh, You're going to populate it with the roles that you seek. Uh, We teach you how to create the startup, how to do your pitch, uh, how to do everything else in terms of the roles, and we walk you through it step by step. I mean, we literally hold your hand on everything step by step. And our only goal is to really get that that first person, for you as a founder to bring that first person on for performance-based equity. Because again, one plus one equals done. That's our key. So if they do what we tell them to do, if they trust the process and they actually do the work, because we actually walk them through step by step what to do, typically they succeed. All right? The vast majority succeed. By the way, if I fail to get anything or if it takes sure. me a second to get it, that you know, that that that's because I'm 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 a fucking idiot. It's No, or where it means hey, I'm not I'm not simplifying enough. No, no, no. I I really doubt that. And 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 by the way, I don't judge same with the shit. I don't judge myself as being, you know, being an idiot is is kind of it's curable. Sure. That's what I believe. It's totally That's a great curable. line. So I'm curing myself with every interview I do. You know, every every appearance I, I make, sure. I'm curing myself of my idiocy. That's that's why I'm okay with it. But okay. You're not an idiot, Hirsch, but keep going. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You're 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 right. Well, I was. And a uh, but it, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so okay. So what's incumbent upon me as as the as the user of right. of Gusher is to find that person. Yeah, well, think about this. It's yours to go ahead. As founder, you need to do what we're doing right now. Literally, it it is the easiest hard work there is. So it's talking to people. So as a founder, you need to talk with people. You need to talk with them about your idea. You need to find out why a person does what they do. You know, one of the things I didn't ask you is, you know, why did you do this? Why did you go down this road? As a founder, I always teach them that, hey, whoever they're talking to, that should be almost one of the first questions because it's a Rosetta Stone. It's a, it's a template for how to interact with that person. And you can see if you're in philosophical alignment because when it comes to creating a company, you need to be in philosophical alignment. Uh, that's not a small thing. It's not transactional. It, it's the people element, and that's really, really, really important. No, it's the opposite of transactional. Yes. It's that, it's that, that, that fundamental thing, you know, and, it, and, and, and to answer that, um, in my case, why I, why, I, why I do this is to unite the, uh, the skill sets that I've amassed over my career, over sure. a couple of decades or, or more of working in advertising, working in comedy, doing stand-up comedy, being comedy writer, screenwriter, all these, all these things that don't in and of themselves just automatically present a joint uh, right. uh, face, you know. So rather than shoehorn myself into my next venture, I was like, well, why don't I build my next venture around everything that I've done so far? Exactly. That was the that was the go to your strengths, play to your strengths. 
play to your strengths. And when you're really young, you don't necessarily know what your strengths are. You know what you like to do. Yeah, but I'm going to say something, Hirsch. I mean, I, this is what I would say if you were in front of me for a deal, okay? I'd say, what is your one strength? Because I, I see something on your dad that's an immediate, it's immediately apparent, okay? And that's, that's that human interaction. You do what I do, all right? Yeah. You have that on a different level than most people. So why do anything but? Yeah, communicating is, I guess, what you would call it. Maybe, maybe that's communicating. Maybe it's something else. I'm not quite sure. But you, I think it's something else. I think it's something more. Because what I always find is that anytime I pick that one thing, anytime I pick one thing, it tends to yeah. limit uh, the picture. What is your one thing? What right. Is your I, one? Is I'd say mine is talking. Uh, convincing and persuading. I have the ability to convince people uh, that what I'm doing is something that they should be part of. Uh, that literally is what I do almost all day, every day. But I also help people to, to, in a way, find that in themselves. So even though I'm dealing with all these different deal details, even though I'm dealing with all these different scenarios and, and whatever it may be, it really fundamentally comes back to that. It's dealing with those people and just communicating that one-on-one. -on -one. And, and really helping them untap their potential. That's all it is. I don't try to dissuade people from doing a deal, ever. I believe that the market should decide. I'm not sitting here as some, some you know, like VC god on their throne deciding that for somebody. But what I have noticed over, over years of doing this and, and a lot of companies is that there comes a certain perception with a person. And so I dig deeper a little bit to see if there's another idea there. Because when the founder starts smiling about an idea, that's usually the right idea. So I had a, I had a founder who started this technical software company. He was laid off during COVID. And you know it was in marketing and, or advertising. Uh, and it was a very technical software-driven company. And I would have a conversation with him every now and then. And he would suddenly start talking about this other thing. And I'm like, Mike, why the hell are you doing this other company? You should be doing this thing, this, this, this thing which you've been thinking about. He goes, really? I go, yeah, dude, do that. And sure enough, he wins product of the year the next year. I mean, that, that's how you start a company. You, it, you do something that makes you smile that you want to do. I mean, I get having to cover your, your ass and overhead and putting food on the table. I get that. Uh, but really, you also have to go ahead and, and free up your soul and, and live a little bit, too, in terms of going after shit that you want. You have to have passion in order to, um, you know, put up with all the crap that you're going to have to do, all the stuff you don't like. Yeah, but the passion typically grows. I mean, so, but if you're on the wrong road, it doesn't. But if you're on the right road, you may start out with a little bit of passion and then it gets more and more and more. You don't start out with a ton of passion and you're passionate about it. At least I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen a founder that started out like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that the passion, the passion's there in your voice, you know, and, and that I think may be the answer to why you've done so many projects. It's because at a certain point, that the, the, the smile pops on for something else. Sure. That's, that's, that's natural. That's why I haven't ever, you know, spent like I haven't spent my career in one company, uh, even my own. Sure. Know, because I feel like there's, there's that, we, we do have to have that light go on. So with Gusher, so over the past few years, what have you done? How have you gone about getting this idea in front of, the audience that it need, that needs to know about. 
Sure. Well, the, the audience is kind of tough because it's not like you're selling candy and you know that your market is, let's say, 12 to 16-year-old uh, children. And you also know that it's 30 to 40-year-old uh, married females making an income between fifty, dollars $80,000 a year. Gusher is not like that. So we have everything from 20-year-old college students to 80-year-old uh, grandmas living in South Africa that have done deals successfully, okay, all across the spectrum. So you run into an issue. You run into an issue that it's not education. It's not age. It's not geographic location. It's not ethnicity. It's not religion. It's not that they come from a specific background uh, from money or poverty or whatever it may be. So what's the common element? Okay, yeah, you know, our founders, uh, the good ones, they all have an extreme sense of honesty, but then it starts fragmenting off, okay? It starts fragmenting off where greatly. Now, why do they have a sense of honesty? Why is that? Oh, well, think it, well, this is what happens with Gusher. You, you can't fake it till you make it on Gusher, meaning that when you start bringing in a team for performance-based equity, you, you have a team of people there that are damn good at what they do. And they're able to typically to perceive bullshit after a certain amount of time. So people who bullshit, they can't do it typically for a long period of time. And so the team abandons ship. They just say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. And literally the founder gets sunk. Uh, it's not the other way around. So it's something where, you know, bad founders don't last long on Gusher at all. So the, the founders that work well, extremely well, are the founders that don't pretend they know something that if they need help, they literally ask for it. Uh, and so, and then people want to help them. It, it's, it's not like they're delegating or anything like that. It's very, very collaborative uh, endeavor when you, when you gush or something. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, okay. So I get that. So now we have, uh, you know, you have the, uh, the honesty part. Sure. Um, and, and what happens next? What's, what's, what is so th this is what we've seen. I mean, a tremendous amount of our deal flow is from uh, existing founders. So we get a tremendous amount of referrals. I'd estimate about 70, 80% of the companies that are coming into Gusher are all referral based. But then we have other things. We have um, different verticals. We have things like finance companies that refer also. We have venture capitalists that refer. We have incubators that refer. We have accelerators that refer. I do speaking gigs and we get tons of deals from, from those. But in terms of, of getting mainstream, I don't want to pretend that we figured that out yet. We haven't figured that aspect out yet. Mm -hmm. So is it a certain voice? Well, we've tested certain voices and it almost always results in the same thing. So we don't think it's necessarily a function of voice. It may be a function perhaps of telling founder stories. It may be a function of, you know, the affiliate programs done a different way, which are working successfully. But we haven't found really necessarily a mainstream way of getting it out there. And it may not be that type of product. It may not be something that is for everybody uh, in terms of that's looking to start a business or that may have an idea. But we do think that, you know, when it comes to penetrating markets, that if a person has an idea, if a person feels they're desperate or that they don't have any way to bring it to life, well, those are the people that we want to reach. Now the question is, well, how to reach them. Yeah, well, I do know that there are, what I think you figured out and what I can tell is that the, there is an audience for it. There is a need sure. for it. What maybe remains to be seen is how widely, you know, how fertile is the is the the ground in terms of founders uh, who are who are ready to actually 
see this through? Well, we, 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 okay. So like, let's take the existing startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. We're not for the existing startup ecosystem. So we're not for people that are in the venture capital ecosystem or the venture capital pipeline or whatever that we, we end up dealing with a lot of those companies that are coming out that failed. Uh, but, you know, once if they're in the, that that fairy tale of believing the Silicon Valley fairy tale of a guy in a garage or two guys in a garage, they tell their pitch and they get a check. Well, God bless them. But the vast majority of deals never happen that way. We're more interested in the person that that is, regardless of age, they have an idea in their head. They're located in Dubuque, Iowa, or, or Portugal, or South Africa, or wherever the heck it is, and they don't have any place to turn to. They don't have that rich dad. They don't have a network of wealthy friends and family. And they're just like, well, how the hell do I do this? I've got a great idea, and now I just want to get it going. They're usually impatient. They're usually very smart people. And that's the commonality. And they're honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Because it, because it, for a lot of people, it's like venture capital is like like day trading or some kind. You know, they're they're doing it for fun. They're doing it because they can afford to do it or they want to or they're making they have money to make money. And that's yep. kind of how they. Well, the the actual venture capital industry, I mean, it's got a negative ROI if you throw out the top 2% of firms. So that means that about 98% of the industry actually has a negative return on investment. And only about 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 2,000, depending upon whose numbers you believe, of the companies that try to get venture capital financing actually get it. So the, the game is stacked against getting capital. So when it comes to bootstrapping or figuring out another way, you by far have a, a higher likelihood of being able to do that than getting venture capital. You guys are like are like Shark Tank, but without without the need to like feed the sharks. You know, it's like <laughs> it's the salmon swimming up the stream. The it's, strong it's, survive. It's, it's more salmon. It's, it's yep. salmon. Salmon stream versus Shark Tank. Exactly. See, and it makes more sense because, well, salmon tastes better. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't eaten shark. I don't know what – I don't know that I would want to. But um, – and, and then the nuts and bolts side of it, so you take, you take a 5% equity position. Only upon success. So – and what's the, uh, the interaction before that? Uh, It's a lot of what we're doing right now. I mean, our teams go about 20 hours a day, seven days a week. We literally say the following and we mean it uh, and we've done it. If a company needs us at at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas to close the ex-chairman of Silicon Valley Bank on a deal, we're there. If you need us in the middle of, of Wisconsin, in the middle of winter to close a factory on your deal, we are there. When your production runs goes crazy and the wrong honey was delivered and you made the product anyway without your knowledge and canned it already, well, at Saturday at 3 a.m., we're there. So we teach everything from going ahead and building the teams, which is the basic stuff, to really getting that company to a valuation of at least $10 million. That is our strong point. We want to get them to $10 million because right. we, really, we don't really make anything until they do. And you kind of opened with that, that until, until the, if you think you can get them to 10 million, yep. that's kind of the magic. That's magic, the magic. number. It's so funny. I'm, I, have, I have a video coming out where I say that I've been I've been told as a branding as a branding and messaging expert, I've been told that in order to win your business, I have to scare you into hiring me by emphasizing your pain points. Sure. Right? 
But if we were to talk about like Gushers pain points sure. or stuff that you're trying to accomplish or want to accomplish is on your next breakthrough thing, where what's what what would you say to that? Well, I'd say this. We, we our, our basic structure is in place for how to take these companies and grow them, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're, our pain points really lie in bringing, like, let's say what you do to them in, I don't want to say a standardized way, but almost a templatized way. So let's say we're dealing with a consumer goods company. One of the things that, that is always a discussion that we have with companies in the beginning stages is evocative versus explanatory evocative versus explanatory. So we don't want a company necessarily to be explanatory. We want a company to be evocative, to be emotionally charged in some way, because that, that's where the free publicity is. That's where, you know, the lightning rod is. That's where your first sales are. You know, being, even if you're, you're something that's not appealing to everybody, which is what you should not try, you've got to be polarizing a little bit and be evocative to get those sales. So, you know, founders don't necessarily think that way. They think, hey, product solution uh, and putting it out there. But every company to us, whether it's a tech company, whether it's a medical device company, whether it's a consumer goods company, a manufacturing company, is a marketing and sales company first and foremost. And so drilling that into them or being able to get them to see the light, that's one of our pain points. I was thinking of, of you know, tag. Do you have a tagline? Do you have a, like a, use a tagline? No, no, we don't. No, nope. you don't. No, you don't have anything against taglines. No, not at all. I think some, sometimes it's actually extremely good, extremely useful. Sometimes I think even with a good idea, you need one. And it's almost like the name. I mean, obviously not in this case. Gusher's great. Gusher is a great name. It makes perfect sense. Sure. But I think what 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 would be helpful to to like have people know is that where your business idea comes from is as important as where it's going. Absolutely. You know? But the thing that that popped into my head and again, it's like something that we, you know, like it would have to resonate with you and then you would say something and then I would say something and we would develop a tagline that way. But it just seems to me like the gusher concept of, you know, your business, your 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 business never ends, your uh, your uh, your your dreams never end, your ideas never end. The gusher idea of something just flowing and flowing and flowing continuously is uh, is something that like it's like untapping. It's like a faucet, yeah. and that's where you can go like visually or an idea wise. Yeah, you know. So, and that's something we've kind of thought about on the periphery, but you know, figuring it out. I mean, that's a process. You know that. Yeah, yeah. You're opening. You're opening. <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes like the corny ideas are good too, which is like the. You know, you picture the uh, I can't remember what, what was the com what was the commercial for, but they played it to death. And it was the guy falling through the plumber falling through the faucet, like coming out of the faucet. But the idea of the of the of the faucet being, you know, opening. Sure. Uh, you know, the thing opening and the idea flowing out of it is just is in a very kind of yellow submarine way like i like i see it as because what i think what i see that you're doing and i and i just relate to it personally is that you're marrying dreams and fantasy yes with practicality reality process simplicity of process yep. a simple process that if anything the reaction that someone might have is that it's too good to be correct you know, like, hear me out. Like, so do you remember 
and you may not, you probably not. Do you remember what was the precursor to the iPad? Oh, okay. I pro I the precursor. Nobody remembers it. All right, hear me out. They, okay. Then they all say they do. It was it was a Microsoft tablet product that basically okay. went nowhere for three four years. I mean nothing. Yeah. And so people kind of had it now under radar. They kind of understood it. And then you know Apple came along with the iPad, and now it was on their radar. They understood it. But like Gusher right now, it's not that it's even too good to be true. You asked about pain point earlier. I kind of I kind of missed this and I forgot about it. It's that people. People don't even know this exists or even right. that it can be done. So they're still under the belief that I need money, I need money, I need money, I need money. Oh, then that's too good to be true. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's yeah. the biggest barrier. But I think in in terms of getting the message right and getting the message out, I think it would have – see, I think this is where it leads us. Where it leads us is I think the, the place to go is it's not too good to be true. Right. It's just that it it's work. It's like you got to do it. You got to yeah. do it to make it true. You got to, yeah. you know, sometimes we think, oh, it's too good. It's too good to be true. Well, what's too good to be true is somebody dropping uh, all of the gold in the world on your lap. And, you know, you and it, what's really too good to be true is you expecting that to solve your problems. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like getting a gym membership and 30 days later saying I haven't lost weight. Well, it's yeah. not a function of getting the gym membership. It's a function of, you know, you got to go to the gym, you have to do the workouts, and you have to go ahead and modify what you're eating. Then you have yeah. the results. And so, you know, it's kind of a little bit of that. But here's the thing, okay? You, you say to yourself, all right, you know, it, it, if that level of persuasion or convincing is required for a founder, is that really the type of founder that is going to actually succeed, right? So, you know, even right now, you know, we have a, a hell of a lot of companies with nothing. So we're trying to figure out now how to take that mainstream in the, in the best way possible and still keep our numbers, hopefully, you know, I don't know if they can be as high with success rates, but still keep those success rates relatively high, you know? Yeah, you can, that's the other thing is that it's, it's it, there is a vetting Right. There is there is a, a vet. The market problem. does the vetting, but there is a there is a sink or swim, uh, you know, at play here. But you find out real quickly because here's these founders that and, and it happens. I mean, we have founders and, and it's not based upon their emotional intelligence. We have founders that are like cardboard. Uh, that you literally would think, okay, there's no way in hell this idea is going to work. This founder doesn't have it, and I don't say that to them, but you know that's what I'm thinking. And then sure enough. They take off because they just do what's required. They work the process. If they work yeah. the process, the process works. And then you have others that come on and they think they're God's gift to mankind uh, and they don't take the meetings. Well, right. nobody's coming to you, you know, nobody's going to yeah. do it for you. Yeah. Well, there's there's something in there. I mean, this is this is fun. This is this has been really fun. Sure. Um, and I and I. You know, I love it. I love the the idea. I want to give you uh, some room to share any idea you want, any ideas about you know gusher or or advice to to people who are trying to get their brands to the next level. Because I think that is that is the that is one of the things that 
even the even a successful brand, you know, a brand can be a 30, 40 million dollar brand and still be a challenger brand. Oh, absolutely. You know, and not well, a legacy brand that they're now trying to grow into something or, else. Or right? It's been around. Yeah. Something else. And I and the the term I'm kind of coining for it is plateau fever, which is that 100 percent. You get to this place. You can't break it. No matter what you do, you can't break it. I, I, what, do, what do you say to that? I would say one definitive thing, and, and I, I think it's important. I, I think it's insanely important, but I think that the vast majority of companies and founders and whatever never do it. And that is literally you have to do something that makes you right on the edge, if not a little bit over the edge, of having discomfort, being uncomfortable with the idea. You have to literally do an idea that's uncomfortable. I don't mean that makes you want to throw up or makes it where you, you have to hide your face uh, when you're going down through town, but has to make you uncomfortable. I mean, if you ask business owners out there, what is a unique selling proposition that your business has? 70 to 80% of them will say they have nothing different than their competitors. So man, when it comes down to branding and it comes down to marketing, you have to differentiate there. So that's a function of being evocative not explanatory at all, uh, not something uh, that is run-of-the-mill and conservative, being evocative. And it doesn't take much to be evocative. If you liked the show, yes, and it worked for you, yes, and subscribe and leave a yes, five-star review. Yes, Tell all your friends, yes, get your branding here. Yes, get your branding here. Yes, Did I make it clear? Yes, get your branding on. Yes. Before they're gone. Yeah.